Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Happy Mother's Day to all of you ladies. Um, this, I'd like to start off by telling you a story. It's a funny story. And I don't know if any of you moms in the room had children close together, but this is a story about a mom who had three children all very close together, and they were all under the age of five, and she broke her foot, and she was expecting company that her husband was bringing his boss home for dinner, and she had piles of laundry, her house was a mess, and the kids need taken care of, and she had to figure out how to cook this meal, and she gets a phone call. This, the phone rings, and she answers it, and she says, hello, and on the other end, she heard her mom's voice, and her mom said, hi, honey, how are you? And she said, oh, mom, you won't believe this, but you know, I've broken my foot, and I'm having company for dinner, the kids are a mess, the house is a mess, I've got laundry everywhere, and the mom interrupted her, and she said, honey, she said, don't you worry, she said, I will come over and take care of the laundry. I will get your house all cleaned up. I'll put a roast in the oven for you, and I'll take care of the kids. You just sit down and you put your foot up, okay? And she said, oh, thank you. And then the mom said, now, when John gets home from work, all he'll have to do is take the roast out of the oven. And the young mom said, who's John? And she said, well, that's your husband. And she said, my husband's name is Steve. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, I must have the wrong number. <laughs> and the poor mom said, the poor young mom said, does that mean you're not coming? <laughs> now, like I said, if you're a mom, you can relate to that. I did a survey of our kids a couple Wednesdays ago. And so I, the boys and the girls both, and I asked them some questions. And I have their responses here today. So I thought I'd just share them with you. I asked, what is your favorite thing to do with your mom or your auntie? And I got this, this response, shop. Another one said, eat ice cream together. And one said, go to the park. One of them said, have devotions. The one I liked the most was a five-year-old little girl who responded by saying, my favorite thing to do with my mom is play tag. She said, I always win, but sometimes I let her win so she'll feel good. <laughs> then I asked them to finish this sentence, my mom teaches me. And one of the kids said, times and division. Another one said, how to be good. One said, how to obey how to do dishes and fold the laundry. And one who's homeschooled said, school and the Bible. But my favorite one here was a kid who really probably didn't know how to answer. So you know how they will make stuff up because I know you want a response. So this child said, I finished the sentence, my mom teaches me how to go to space. <laughs> Lastly, I asked, what is something your mom always wants to tell you. And they said, I love you, which is the one I heard the most frequently. And one said, her mom always tells her, go play for a minute and then she will come. <laughs> one said, time to eat dinner. And one of the kids 
said, their mom always tells them, five minutes. <laughs> now, I don't know if that meant five minutes in time out, give me five minutes of peace and quiet, but five minutes is what their mom always tells them. And lastly, this one was cute, a seven-year-old boy, when I asked him what his mom always tells him, and he said, she always tells me to be kind to substitute teachers. <laughs> uh, well, I want to begin this morning by just saying thank you to my husband for letting me be in the pulpit. I take it as a huge responsibility to be up here. Um, I have been a licensed minister for 25 years, but it has been eight years since I have um, shared a message from the pulpit, so I'm a little rusty, and I, I love all of you, I pray for all of you, and I know you love me, so I have nothing to worry about, right? <laughs> but I don't um, take it lightly. I put a lot of effort and prayer into this message, and my prayer is that it will touch your heart this morning. So if you don't mind, let's bow our heads and take a moment to pray. God, I am truly thankful for this opportunity you've given me to share your word. And I ask you, Lord, that this morning that it would go out and that it would touch the heart of each and every individual in this room. I pray, Lord, that not one person would leave this morning without receiving what you have for them. God, I pray their ears would be open and receptive, their hearts would be softened and ready to hear, Lord, what you want them to hear this day from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to continue on the series that, they've been, that has been started out of the Gospel of John. I'm going to be in chapter 2 today. So if you want to turn with me in your Bible or swipe in your app to John chapter 2, we're going to read John 2, 1 through 11. At first, we're going to start with verses 1 through 5. So, on the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So let's take a minute, and I want to back up just a little bit in the chapter one prior to this and um, explain a little bit about what's taking place. So Jesus has started gathering all of his disciples. And in chapter one, we can read about how he, um, Andrew, Peter, um, probably James and John, Philip and Nathaniel, he has started gathering his group of disciples together. And um, they were all invited to this wedding. And weddings back then, they usually began around twilight. And after the actual marriage ceremony, the, what we would consider the reception would take place at the, at the bridegroom's um, home. And usually it would last several days, but this one in particular was just a couple of days, so it may mean that they, they were limited by poverty. But in verse 3, we see that Mary took interest in this feast, and it probably was due to the fact that she very likely could have been related to the bride and the groom. Um, if not related, she was definitely good friends with them. And um, why was there a need for a miracle in this situation? Well, um, I want to explain that I don't know if you ladies 
have, when you've had a guest in your home, when you were the hostess um, planning a party or a get-together, what it's like when you go to prepare the food. And if you're like me, you start thinking, okay, how much do I need? How much do I need to, for every, all of my guests to have something? And you don't ever want to run out of food. In their, their culture, as well as our culture, it's embarrassing if you run out of food. You, don't, you always want to make sure you have enough because you want your guests to leave happy. You want them to leave full and having had a good time. And part of that means having enough to eat and drink. Um, for example, if you, um, as simple as planning a pizza party, I start thinking, okay, so if every person has two pieces of pizza and there's 12 people coming, okay, that'd be 24 slices. And if there's eight slices in a pizza, that would mean we need three pizzas. But then here's what I do. Then I start going, yeah, but, you know, Jerry, he can easily eat four pieces of pizza. And Sherry, she's on a diet, so she'll probably only eat one. And we have some teenage boys who are coming, and they can eat half a pizza. And so then I started, get four or five pizzas, just to make sure. Because you don't want to run out. You don't want everybody going to the pizza boxes and opening them. They're all, it's all gone, you know. And it's the same way, think about Thanksgiving. You don't want to run out of turkey. That's important. You want all your guests to be able to have turkey. And Justin, what if you ran out of barbecue sauce? That would be tragic, wouldn't it? You don't want to run out of barbecue sauce at a barbecue, do you? So gives you an idea what was experienced, why there was the need for a miracle. So let's reread verse 3. Verse 3 says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. So I've been accused on more than one occasion of doing what Mary has done here. So what she's doing is she's stating the obvious, with hopes of getting someone to do something without having to ask them to do it. Now, you, I don't know if any of you ladies are like me, but I've been known to say, ooh, the trash sure is full. Or, boy, the car sure looks a little dirty. Or, wow, look how much the grass has grown. She's stating the obvious without wanting to ask. So that's kind of what Mary did here. And, you know, we don't really know her intonation or, or her facial expressions at the time when she said this. So I started thinking, well, she, she could have been like, they have no more wine. Or it could have just been like a, out of the side of her mouth, they have no more wine. Or I don't know, she could have had a very pitiful look, hoping to get Jesus to, 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 to remedy the situation by saying, they have no more wine. I'm not sure exactly how she said it, but she did get a response. And irregardless of how she said it, I know that she believed that Jesus had the remedy to the situation. So let's look at how he responded in verse 4. He said, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. Now, I feel like I should explain here when he says, Woman, in for us, that's a little bit of a, a, a kind of not a very polite way. Husbands, I don't recommend that you call your wife woman. Because for us, that's a little not very kind way of saying it. If, if Pastor Mike had said this morning, woman, get out of bed. We need to go to church. <laughs> that would not have been good. 
So back then, it didn't really have that, <clears throat> excuse me, that implication. And um, he's actually here, he's referring to his mother, and he's, it's indicating that there's a difference between the human relationship he has with her and the spiritual relationship that he has with her. Because he is on the verge of performing his first miracle, but also of starting his ministry. And I think he's making a distinction there by, by using that term of woman um, as opposed to mother. Now, um, Jesus indicates here that it was not time for him to manifest himself as the Messiah. And yet it's important to note that he goes on and performs the miracle. But not I don't believe he did it to the extent that Mary was asking him to do. Let's reread verse 5 here. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So Mary's instructing the servants to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. And now keep in mind, prior to this wedding, Mary, has, she's aware of what Jesus has been happening in Jesus' life. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, when he baptized him, he, his words were, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And she sees that things are building in his ministry. And he has these disciples who are gathered around him to follow him. And we see Andrew and Simon um, in the book of, or in John 141 say, we have found the Messiah. And she knows that all of this is, is happening. And of course, she knows he's the Messiah also. So she, for her to tell the servants to do whatever he tells them to do is because she knows. She knows what's going to happen. She knows that he's the Messiah. And I don't know if maybe you have a problem that you need Jesus to meet, just like this bridegroom had a problem and needed Jesus to meet, or Mary did. Um, maybe you're like Mary and you have a miracle that only Jesus can meet. And I'm at, I, maybe you're asking the Lord for a miracle. And, you know, we sang that song, and every time we sing it, um, we, it talks about God chasing after us. I think about God chasing after people that I know who don't know the Lord. He, ch he chased after me, but then I started thinking about my own family members who aren't serving God, and they need the miracle of salvation. And salvation is a miracle. Mine was, yours is, and was. And <clears throat> all those that the Lord wants to save, it's a miracle waiting to happen. And I don't know if maybe you have a parent or a coworker, somebody that you know needs that miracle of salvation. Or maybe you need a miracle of healing. I know um, that our brother in the hospital, he really needs a miracle of healing today. And some of you here in this room struggling physically and you need a healing. Well, God is in the miracle working business, is he not? I read about a little girl who defined the word miracle this way. She said, it's something we can't do, but Jesus can. And I thought, you know, that's perfect. We can't do it, but he can. And, you know, just like Mary asked Jesus to perform this miracle for the bridegroom, and Jesus met that need, he wants, he wants to do the same for us. He wants to do the same for you. But we have to ask. We have to ask for that miracle. You know, it, 
The scripture says in Philippians 4, 6, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So we serve a God who wants to meet our needs, but let's look here at the next passage and see how he met this need. Let's look at verse 6. It says, nobody, I'm sorry, nearby stood six water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servant, fill the jars with water so that they so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants had, who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you have saved the best until now. Now, the wine that they drank back then was a lot different than the wine we drink today. It, it was much less potent. And we know that um, it was never Jesus' intention for anyone to, to be drunk at this wedding. And Ephesians 5.18 in the New Living Translation, um, if you don't mind putting that, that up there on the screen for me, Taylor, or Tyler, sorry. It says, Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I feel like I should just share a quick little illustration that I found. It's out of authentic Christianity. It said, an alcoholic who became a believer, he was asked how he could possibly believe the nonsense in the Bible about miracles. Somebody said to him, you don't believe that Jesus changed the water in, into wine, do you? And he says, I sure do, because in our house, Jesus changed the whiskey into furniture. Now, his life was changed by a miracle. And we know that wasn't the intention as far as the alcohol is concerned at this wedding. Let's go on and read verse 8 again. So the, the servants did as they were told, and it, in this passage, and they, it says, now draw out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now let's put ourselves in the shoes of the servant. Can you imagine how they must have felt? You know, here they are bringing these ceremonial washing vessels to the bridegroom for them to have more to drink. And I just imagine that, um, that they were a little apprehensive. They probably wanted to set the jars down and run. <laughs> but... Um, I don't know if you have ever drank something and you thought it was going to be one thing and it was something else, and you're like, whoa. Well, it reminds me of a story of my oldest son. He was about eight years old, and we had this snow cone shack that we liked to go visit in the summer, and we would always get snow cones there. They had amazing flavors, everything you could choose from. Well, I let him this time. I gave him the money and let him get out and get it himself, and I stayed in the car with um, my youngest son. And so he gets out and gets it, gets back in, and it's a, a green snow cone. And I thought, oh, he, he's like, I got watermelon. Here, you want to taste it? And I, so I take it, and I take a taste. Well, it was not watermelon. It was dill pickle. <laughs> yeah. That was a shocker. 
So I, I just imagine that um, those servants were a little leery of delivering water, but I'm sure they were pleased when they realized that Jesus truly had performed a miracle when he turned that water into wine. So let's take a minute and put ourselves in Mary's place after the miracle had taken place. I just imagine that she had relief. She probably was was happy that the wedding had been saved. There was no embarrassment that was going to have to take place. Everything had been provided. And I imagine that she was also elated at the fact that she realized for the first time that the fulfillment of the things that she had treasured in her heart, that she had pondered in her heart all this time, was actually coming to pass. I imagine also as a mom that she felt pleasure, she probably felt joy and delight, she probably was comforted and had, and, and had contentment and knowing that her, the pride that she must have had in her son at that moment. So Mary asked Jesus to meet the need for one reason, and it's because she knew that he had the power to work the miracle that was needed. She had faith that, she could, that he could do something that would remedy this problem. She knew he could do it. And we need to have that same kind of faith to believe that he has the power to work the miracles that are, need, that are present in our life. We need to believe that he can fix our problems and he can meet our needs. And I want to tell you that he is a need meter. I want to tell you a story of a, of a couple named Beverly and Gary. They had been married for about three years. And um, in 1963, they had just got a, a new car. This was a white 1960 Ford Falcon. And they were really proud of this new car. They were excited to go home and visit Gary's family for Mother's Day, go home and see his mom. So they got an early start one morning, headed down the highway. It's a two-lane highway. They were listening to the radio and enjoying it, their, their trip and the scenery. And all of a sudden, Beverly shouted, there's a car in our lane, and it doesn't see us. And Gary took to the right shoulder, barely missed by this oncoming car, and the car kept on going. And the falcon began to fishtail in the gravel, and the right tire hit the, the lip of a drainage culvert. And they skid across the lane towards the other side and towards a, a deep roadside ditch. Uh, they were hopelessly out of control, and Beverly knew it, and she began to scream a, a desperate prayer to the Lord. And she said, oh Lord, what is happening? Please protect us. And seconds later, the car hit the ditch and flipped over end for end. And the windshield popped out at this point, and they were upside down in the ditch, and the momentum of the crash caused the falcon, falcon to be like a large uh, scoop shovel. And all the sand and gravel and dirt just engulfed the, the inside of their vehicle. And it got in their faces and their eyes. And again, she, she cried out to the Lord, Lord, protect our eyes. And he did. And the falcon did one final flip, and the car settled upright across that eight-deep uh, ditch <laughs> with all four wheels down. And when the dust had settled, they realized that Beverly's knee had been cut open. There was a huge gash in her knee, 
And they dug through all the dirt and the gravel in the car and found a towel and found a clean spot on the towel and they wrapped her leg in that towel. And then they realized as they looked out the windows of their vehicle that it actually was suspended and that they couldn't even see the ground. And so he had to lower himself out of, out of the car onto the ground and then he helped her out as well. And they made their way to the road and when they got there, there were cars that had already stopped. And one man looked at him and he said, wow, I saw the whole thing. And he said, somebody has their hand on you. And, and they knew it was true. And, and Beverly, she thought about her prayer that she had prayed in the middle of the wreck. And she said, she thought to herself, Gary, where is your Bible? And he said, I don't know, I better go start collecting. Their belongings were all scattered all over, both sides of the highway. In fact, they had clothes hanging on one of the state highway signs that said, curve ahead. And they, he began looking, and he could not find his Bible anywhere. He, um, he looked around the car. He even got back in the car and dug through all the dirt, thinking maybe it had gotten covered up or in, the, in the dirt. He got out, and he walked around the car, and... One last time, he decided he would get look under the car. And when he did, he found his Bible, and it was open and under one of the wheels of the car. And um, the wheel had virtually no weight on it due to the awkwardness of the way it had landed on the ditch. And he was able to gently slip that Bible out from underneath the tire of the car and um, he said, I found it. And she said, where was it? And he said, it, we, we really were protected by God. God's word was underneath the car. And he said, we, they still have that Bible to this day, and there's a treadmark on the page where it was open. Now, Beverly heard the sound of the ambulance, and she started to um, realize the gravity of the situation. And um, she had suspected that she was pregnant, and she had not told her husband yet. And um, so again, she said a prayer, and she asked God to protect this unborn baby if she was truly pregnant. So they took him to the hospital. They stitched up her leg or her knee, and they said, um, this could have been so much worse. And that's what the doctors told them. And Gary, Gary's dad, he picked him up at the hospital, and he drove them 90 miles to see um, Gary's mom who was standing inside the door. They rushed in, put their arms around her neck, and they said, Happy Mother's Day. And she told them, she said, I did not stop praying from the moment we got the phone call. And she said, I already have my Mother's Day gift. My kids are home safe. And every mother here understands, <laughs> understands how that mother felt. And she said, Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Now, Gary and Beverly, they needed a miracle of protection, and God provided it. And I'm sure that this story has been a testimony to their family for many years past, after, that, after it happened. You know, the fact that they were spared, their lives were spared, the Bible under the tire, and she was truly, in fact, pregnant and had no complications or problems and, and had, a, had a son um, who was born to them later. So, you know... It's exciting to see how God worked that miracle for them. And I want to go back to the word here, and we're going to look at how Jesus performed the miracle and what the results of that were for his disciples. 
Let's look back here in verse 11. It says, What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And just like that story would make a believer out of anyone, if you were in that accident, I know you would know that that was a miracle. And I know that the disciples, when they saw what was happening, when that water turned into wine, they had seen a miracle for the first time in their lives. They had not seen miracles prior to this. And I would put ourselves in, our, in their shoes. I just imagined that they were probably nudging each other, saying, did you just see that? Did you just see what I saw? That water turned into wine. I'm sure it took them to a whole new level of faith in Jesus. And, you know, miracles, miracles took place then, and they still take place now. But some of you may say, I haven't seen very many miracles. But I want to encourage you today, sometimes we don't see very many miracles because we aren't asking for them. We have become so self-sufficient that we find ways to figure out how to meet our own needs. And sometimes we don't take the time to ask God to help us meet those needs. I'm going to say that one more time. We aren't asking because we've come, become so self-sufficient that we have figured out ways to meet our own needs. When in fact, God would like to meet our needs for us. He would like to provide the miracles that we need. And I want to encourage you today that if you need a miracle in your life, to ask for it. Just like Mary asked Jesus to help, we should too. If you have a problem in your life right now that you would describe as impossible, then that's the best place to start is by asking Jesus. He helped the bridegroom at the wedding. How much more would he like to help you, provide you with the miracle that you need in your life? Let's take a moment to pray and if our prayer team would go ahead and come forward. Jesus, I believe that you want to work miracles today. I believe that that message is for us, that we need the reminder that you are a miracle-working God and that you want to do miracles in our lives. And there are needs in this place this morning that only you can meet. They are impossible unless you intervene. And some of us, for some of us, it's salvation of, our, of a loved one that we don't know how they could possibly turn their life around. But God, with you, it is possible. And Lord, there may be some here who need a miracle in their body today. And Lord, it seems impossible medically, but it's possible with you. And God, I believe there's some here today who have a financial need. And they don't know how that need could be met. There is not a penny to be spared. But God, you are the need meter. And you want to work miracles. And I believe I have seen many, many miracles in my own life. Financial, physical, salvation, Lord. And I know that you love me. And I know that you love everyone in this room equally. And God, that you desire to do your will and your plan and your healings in their life. And I pray, God, this morning, Lord, that they would accept the miracle and come forward and lift those needs up together. 
your name, in Jesus' name, amen.